Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship to those in the sanctuary and joining us online. It's good for us to be able to study the Word of God all together. Recently, I read a book called Love Does for a book club, and in it, the author's wife noticed that her husband was missing a lot of the things that she was saying in conversation, and so she got him into the doctor for a hearing test. And being a pretty competitive guy, he tackled that test. He wanted to win it. And so he listened really intently for every sound, and he hit, at every hint of a sound, he hit that button. If you've ever taken a hearing test, you know what that's like. And the results were kind of a good news, bad news type of thing. The good news was he aced it. He had almost perfect hearing. The bad news he discovered when he turned and looked at his wife's face. <laughs> Because now she realized if his hearing was that good, obviously his problem hearing her wasn't with his ears. Had to do with his heart. That was going to be a little harder to fix. You can imagine that he was a little sad that he tried so hard <laughs> on that hearing test. The truth is, there is so much more to hearing than being able to hear. And in this series, we're listening to what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God through parables, through stories with meaning. And when Jesus tells us stories, he's calling us to imagine this, a kingdom unlike any other kingdom the world has ever known. And he often wraps up his parables with this phrase, those who have ears, let them hear. Because ears are just the starting point to the kind of hearing that Jesus wants us to experience. He wants us to hear in a way that changes the reality of our hearts. So how do we truly hear Jesus' words? Well, before we tackle our parable for today, we're going to back up a bit and see if we can discover from the context a little bit why Jesus might be telling this parable. So if you'd like to use a Bible, uh, there are some that are in the back. Please raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible if you'd like to follow along today. And if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 12. That's one chapter before our text for today. We're going to do a speed summary of what's happening in chapter 12 before we get to this parable. And in chapter, the beginning of chapter 12, the Pharisees decide that they are going to plot to kill Jesus. And Jesus makes a wise decision then to leave the synagogue where he had been speaking with them. And instead he goes off to the house of a supporter. But the crowd, including some of the Pharisees, follows him. And so he continues to teach and preach and heal at this house. And in this house, Jesus drove a demon out of a man who had been blind and mute. So now he's both able to talk and to see. And the people who saw this are wrestling with what this might mean. They're asking questions. Who is this man? Could this be the Messiah? But there is one group who's not asking questions. The Pharisees only issue a judgment. They say, he drives out demons by the prince of demons. That's a pretty bold statement. And Jesus, of course, immediately challenges them on that claim. He says, evil driving out evil? A house divided against itself? Is that really what your eyes are seeing here? Is that really what you think that your ears are hearing? And Jesus shows them their hearts that they aren't really reacting to what they've actually seen and heard. Their ears were not hearing. Their eyes were not seeing. Instead, they were simply saying what they'd already decided they were going to hear what they'd already decided they were going to think about Jesus. So they couldn't see anything else. The Pharisees at this point demand proof, other than the miracles they witnessed, I guess, that this is God's power 
that Jesus is using. And Jesus tells them the only sign they're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Do you remember that story? After three days in the darkness, God uses one man to bring a whole sinful nation into repentance, then forgiveness and restoration to God. See some parallels to where Jesus' life is going to be going? But at that point, of course, the Pharisees don't really understand the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus goes on to compare that generation to someone who has been cleansed from one demon, like the man that Jesus has just cleansed in front of them, but then ends up with seven more He was telling them, you started on the right path in God's way, but unless you allow God's power and direction to continue to fill that place that's been swept clean in you, things that are not of God are gonna try to take his place in your life. Cultural pressures, greed, ambition, self-interest, things that might not seem so bad to you at first, but they're absolutely gonna keep your ears from hearing what you're meant to hear. So the unasked question that's floating around is, what are you listening to? Who is guiding you? What are you choosing not to hear? And then at that moment, Jesus' mother and brothers show up asking for him, and Jesus clarifies, the one who does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. Who are you listening to? What is guiding your life? That question builds up all that chapter. And then finally, we get to chapter 13, our text for today. And I'm going to read this extended text of what's happening in this chapter. That same day, same day all this happened in chapter 12, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. 
When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, having heard the context behind this parable, why do you think Jesus is telling it? I think his disciples, having seen everything that happened on that day, had to be wondering about Jesus' power. They had to be wondering, how can Jesus say the word and demons flee and people are healed and people who are blind and dumb are now able to see and speak and whole lives are made new and at the same time, other people are watching this and they scoff and call him names. How? Can Jesus' words have so much power in some hearts and seem to bounce right off of others? It'd be confusing, wouldn't it? But I'll bet his disciples weren't the only ones who wonder that. I bet you have too. When you look around you every single day, and our Lord holds so much power, so much grace, so much ability to recreate us, why do some people absorb his word like sponges and others don't? These disciples are in training to go out and share the news of the kingdom of God, but they can see that Jesus himself doesn't win all the world around him, even when he's physically doing miracles in front of them. They must have wondered about their own chances out there. And I think in the very simplest interpretation, what Jesus is doing here is just explaining to his disciples what they're seeing in the world. He's telling them how it is so they don't get discouraged. Because the truth is, no one can force someone else to love or to receive love. It just doesn't work that way. You can't argue someone into love. You can't convince someone into love. Even all the fairy tales, all the Disney stories agree, there's no power even in our human imagination that could force a person to love. No magic genie lamps, no formulas, no steps. There's only real love that's offered and an invitation to respond. That's the freedom that God gave us because he loves us. And the truth is, not every heart that we encounter is at a place where it's ready to receive or respond. But the sower keeps sowing the seed into every single kind of ground. So what are we to take from this parable about the kingdom of God, about having ears that hear? In this parable, Jesus is reminding us that there are forces in this world that will keep hearts from being receptive to him. And he wants us to be aware of those things ourselves. There are situations where the evil one prevents people from hearing or understanding or even connecting with his word in the first place. It's part of the larger battle between good and evil, the battleground over the hearts of people, the people that God loves. And there are hearts that have already decided what they'll hear and what they won't. Hard soil. There are situations where the troubles of this world or persecution by people who don't believe and want to stop you from believing will try to scare you off. There are situations where the worries of this life and the lure of wanting material wealth and security now will pull people away from wanting to embrace the greater truth and security of God's call to follow. And those struggles are real. We've seen them all in the lives of people that we know who struggle with faith, don't we? They're just as true today as when Jesus first told this parable. 
And I'm going to go one step further and even say that each one of you has lived in those different soils at some point in your life, haven't you? And then there's the good soil, the thriving and being fruitful in God's love and calling. This parable invites us to take a look at what's going on in the soils of our own hearts, what's growing and what prevents growth. But before we start thinking in those terms, first I want to point out something to you, some good news in this text that you might not have seen as good news at first. It's in that portion between when Jesus tells this parable and when he explains it. You see, after Jesus tells this story, the disciples come and ask him, why does he speak in parables? And he talks about how many people have calloused hearts. Like the Pharisees of chapter 12, they have hardened hearts, so much so that what they're looking for is ammunition against Jesus. See, parables are easy to remember and they hold meaning, but they're really hard to use as weapons against someone because the meaning is implied. So you might think you know what Jesus means, but you can't charge him for hinting at something you don't like. But if the Pharisees had hearts to hear, to let God instruct their heart instead of their own agenda, that seed would start to grow. As Jesus says in verse 15, this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, if we only read that portion, we might be tempted to think that what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, blessed are you, the spiritually smart, because you figured this out. Smarter than all the prophets and righteous people who wanted to see what you see, but they weren't quite as sharp as you are. We might think that, except then Jesus immediately goes on in the next verse to say, in my paraphrase, now disciples who are blessed to hear and see, I'll explain to you the parable that I just told you that you clearly didn't understand at all. (laughs) So obviously Jesus is not saying, blessed are you because you understand. So what is Jesus saying? Why are they hearing and seeing what others long to hear and see and didn't? Because Jesus himself is present. Because Jesus himself is God's living word. Jesus is God's answer. And because God is doing something new in Jesus, and even though the disciples don't get everything that he's saying, they know where to go with their questions. Their eyes and their ears are fixed on the master. Whereas the Pharisees' biggest boast was, we aren't blind, we see everything when the biggest thing to happen in all creation, the Son of God standing in the flesh in front of them, and they were missing it. What makes ears that hear? What makes eyes that see spiritually? Hearts that are willing to confess that they don't know everything, that they need Jesus to hear and to see. Hearts that are willing soil for what God wants to grow. Blessed are your ears because they hear, Jesus said. But having willing hearts doesn't mean that we won't struggle. We start off on the right path. But what Jesus has made clean in us, the Lord needs access to continually cleanse in us and to fill with his Holy Spirit, his power and his presence if we'll continue to grow in the path. Our hearts need to be asked the question, who are you listening to? 
And it's so important to read this parable about the soils the way it was intended, as a way to explain why people reject the gospel or why they struggle with faith at certain times in their life, but not to think that all of our lives neatly fit into one of these categories. Because otherwise, we're tempted to think the seeds in the good soil, they're just the lucky ones. Of course, they're growing seed. They've never had to contend with bird attacks or rocky times or choking thorns. They've just got good soil to grow in. When we think about the parable that way, it just kind of makes us bitter. Lucky good soil seeds. If I had it that good, boy, you'd seen a crop from me too. But this is where you have to apply an actual life to Jesus' words to catch his deeper meaning. So let's take a look at Jesus' disciple, Peter. We know in the beginning, his heart was hard as a rock. Jesus climbed into his fishing boat and asked Peter to throw in a net, and he didn't understand what Jesus was trying to do. And when he ended up with a miraculous catch of fish, he was so scared, he even asked Jesus to leave him alone because he was a sinful man. But Jesus didn't give up on him. And Peter got interested in Jesus, too interested to let Satan take away his questions. Instead, he brought them to Jesus in his very blunt Peter kind of way, but we're all very blessed to hear those answers. Peter was hard soil, but in Jesus' love, Satan didn't get that seed of faith. But now comes the shallow, rocky soil. But later on, Peter, a big, brave man who had embraced Jesus' teaching with a huge joy, had this life-changing moment when Jesus was arrested in the night. Peter faced fear and persecution head on, and in the shallow, rocky soil, he fell away. The thorns, the worries of his life choked out his faith to the point where he chose his own well-being over Jesus, and knowing it just ate at his heart. The path, the scorching sun, the thorns, and Peter thought, three strikes, I'm out. Disqualified from Jesus' love, completely unworthy of the name disciple. But three days later, his whole story changed. Because after Jesus' resurrection in John chapter 21, Jesus called Peter out to meet with him on the shore. And Peter was not only forgiven of his guilt, but the shame that had weighed him down, that had defined him as the failure, as a disappointment, as a coward, as unworthy, was tackled by Jesus in a way that went far beyond words. And taking Peter aside, He not only reassured him of his love, but he gave him a new task. He recommissioned him. He gave him a new identity as the trusted caretaker of his sheep, of those coming into the faith. And when we talk about Peter today, we don't think of him as Peter the failure, do we? We think of him as Peter the bold apostle, trusted by Jesus, whose life and witness brought many to saving faith. You see, faith had begun to grow in Peter, but that faith only grew deep and strong when Peter knew that he had been loved at his very worst in the face of his deepest failure. At his very worst, he not only had been loved by Jesus and forgiven, but also restored to honor in the face of his shame. Because Jesus never gave up on him, Peter's heart became good soil and all his earthly life was spent multiplying the harvest. Blessed are the ears that hear. 
See, Jesus' parable explained to his disciples the way that the world looks to the eyes of the one seeing the the seeds of hope and life and faith to us. And you're gonna find all different kinds of hearts out there. But there is no ground where the farmer doesn't sow the seed. And we won't always see results from reaching out in faith, but that's because it's a weedy, rocky world under attack. But as long as the farmer, as long as the Heavenly Father is sowing that seed, offering his saving grace to us through Jesus, there is hope for every heart on the journey. Now this parable doesn't come with action steps. Jesus didn't say at the end, therefore go and do this. But knowing how the Father loves us, and how he scatters that seed, and how Jesus has called us to be workers for the harvest, I wonder if we're meant to ask what role we might play in the life of someone dealing with these difficult soils. Maybe a soil that we've lived in a while ourselves. If someone you know has heard the word of God and didn't understand it, and let the evil one just snatch it right off their minds, what might keep that seed from getting lifted off in the future? No one knows what made that path so hard in the first place. What do they need to experience first before they can even dare grab hold of their questions and ask more about that good news? Is there work you can be part of in that harvest? If someone you know received the gospel with joy, but then hard times have hit, and now they're tempted to give up on their faith, what would they need, even in the midst of rocky times, to grow deep roots? I'd imagine it would make a really big difference to have a sheltering tree beside them as they ride out the storm. Could you make a difference in that harvest? And if you know someone who is having their faith choked out of them by the things of this world, how might they come to see what really brings life and what just ends up in the same old patterns? Is there a role you could play in that harvest? Blessed are your ears because they have heard what so many faithful people of the past have longed to hear, that in love for you, God sent a savior to love you beyond your failure, beyond your shame, to restore you forgiven and honored by the gift of his body and blood given to you. Today we celebrate the meal that Jesus gave us, commanded us to eat together and to remember this sacrifice is for you, intentionally made for you so that your heart may know hope and grace and a new identity as his own. And as you receive that promise that you can touch and taste and feel, receive it today as the seed, as the good faith Jesus has in you to invest his very being in your life, watered by his lifeblood, to grow in you a connection that he died and rose to establish forever with you. And may that best of all good news continually fill your life with the joy and the peace of his kingdom that's so far beyond our ability to imagine. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to give us access to your kingdom, that your kingdom is breaking into our lives, that you come to us, Lord, to place yourself right in the midst of our brokenness in order to give us access to your wholeness, to new life, to recreated life in you. Lord, as we live in a very weedy, rocky world under attack, 
Lord, remind us that you are the answer, that you are the strength in the midst of all of that brokenness. Lord, we pray that you would use our lives, that you would fill us and use us to be workers in the harvest and that you would continually draw us back to know, Lord, that in you, all of our lives are the good soil that you want to use to bless this world. Lord, we thank you for your continual promise that again and again as we come to you, we are healed and restored. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.